Welcome to Thinking Out Loud, the podcast where we talk to exceptional people about having better conversations, whether it's with an audience, with others, or with yourself. Joining me today is my co-founder of Out Loud Speaker School, which is a company that is actors teaching public speaking, communication skills, and empathy training, is my co-founder, Nikki Guadagni. Hello. Hey, Nikki. How's it going? Hey, that's fine. Yeah, my name is Will Greenblatt, and I thought we'd start off our podcast, the very first one, with an interview with my co-founder and acting mentor. Uh, Nikki is an incredible actress. She, I've seen her perform, and I've been coached by her. She helped me get into theater school, where I went to the National Theater School of Canada. She helped me get in, and it was her... Uh, really, really amazing and unorthodox coaching methods that really, really helped me uh, break out and, and, and realize what acting could be and it didn't have to be this stuffy old thing. Uh, so Nikki, um, can you tell everybody what uh, your background with acting and, and you know uh, how you got into it and where you come from and what you've done as an mm, actress? My goodness, okay. So uh, I grew up in Montreal and um, I went to college with your dad, Richard mm -hmm. Greenblatt. And uh, we both studied drama. And we both got uh, accepted into RADA, which is the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, England. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a really extraordinary experience for me. I was eight, 18 years old and I was like a sponge and I just picked up everything that they told me and I went to lots of theater that I could afford. And uh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about class in England, which I hadn't experienced in Canada. Uh, where how you spoke signified what class you were from and what education you had, and that was very strange for me. Uh, the vocal and physical training at RADA was very much outside in, so they always talked about how something sounded or how something looked, and, uh, and that was very useful, but it can lead to a kind of hollowness because you're working on the externals and not on the internals. And then I came back to America and I studied with Kristen Linkletter a bit, and I studied with one of her prominent teachers, Natsuko Hama, at the National Arts Center in Ottawa, where your dad was also there too. Mm -hmm. And uh, Kristen Linkletter's approach, her book is called Freeing the Natural Voice, and her approach it was very much how does it feel rather than how does it sound or how does something look. Right. And that was incredibly exciting for people because all of a sudden somebody wanted to know what I, what, who I was and what I felt inside. So as I taught acting more and more at the University of Toronto and various places, I realized that I think both approaches are valuable. And sometimes for an actor, working outside in is better than working inside out, like a great pair of shoes, like the character's shoes will help you find the character. And so just to clarify this, these terms inside out and outside in, mm -hmm. outside in would be an external thing, how it yes. looks, how it sounds, yes. what you're wearing, what your voice is doing, what your body is doing, what your body language is communicating. Yeah, how it looks. And then inside out is? Inside out is, is how something feels, uh, how freely you can express yourself. You did something last week with, with a student where you were trying to get him to be more uh, serious about his work. Right, yeah. And it was brilliant to talk, talk about it. You yeah, so we had, we had a workshop at U of T, which was a bunch of science students who are generally 
quite introverted uh, and, and usually very small and quiet and they tend not to be very expressive. Mm -hmm. We had this one guy who was very expressive, he was great and he had this great smile and he was very likable but he was trying to talk about his research which was in the field of medicine and had to do with cancer research. It was a very serious topic and he couldn't take the smile off his face. Right. He couldn't stop smiling and it was kind of uh, killing his, his yeah. the gravitas and uh, yes. what he was doing. So after trying a lot of the outside in ways yes. of saying, you know, uh, take the smile off your face, yes. you know, or ground yourself, uh, we finally said, um, I want you to think of a time in your life when nothing was funny. And the air just kind of sucked out of the room. Wow, it was amazing. And everybody stopped smiling, and he stopped smiling. And then I asked him to do it again, and it was amazing. Yeah. And yeah. he was just, so, so that would be inside out, thinking Definitely. about a, a time in his life. Yes. And that's what that's what sense, memory, emotional recall. Recall is. thinking about yeah, yeah the, the emotional side, the abstract side, rather yes. than what are my hands doing, what are my feet doing. Exactly, right. exactly. And both both ways are valid, both ways are interesting. I think of it as a continuum mm -hmm. and wherever you can hook in uh, is is however however you get in there. And um, so some people might say it's like left brain and right brain. Left brain is logical. Right brain is much more intuitive and creative. Mm -hmm. uh, however way you want, whatever way you want to look at it, uh, I think that you must approach it from both directions. And if one isn't working, try another way. So, um, yeah, it, it, we're, we're getting to um, the out loud method eventually as we touch upon these kind of technical mm -hmm. and philosophical terms. Um, can you tell us a bit about your acting experience? Maybe a bit about your resume, some highlights of your career and stuff? Well, I've done, I've done everything pretty well. I've done um, a radio and TV and film and a lot of theater. And I learned early on as an actor that the more versatile I could be physically and vocally, the more work I got. And also, I learned when I was doing radio dramas, sometimes I had an hour-long radio drama and I had to play three different characters. So I had to learn how to change my voice so I could play an old woman, or I could play a child, or I could play a powerful woman. And I learned, so I learned to change my voice. And I realized that most people didn't know how to change their voices. And I talked to so many people who said, oh, I hate my voice, I hate my voice. And I'd go, why do you hate your voice? And they'd say, I don't know, I just hate my voice. And it was partly because they didn't realize that they're not stuck with their voices the way they are. They can treat it like an instrument mm -hmm. and learn about how it works. And once they figure out how it works, uh, which we treat, teach them, uh, then they can learn to change it and adapt it and play it like the instrument it is. And this brings us to an interesting point because one of the biggest uh, resistance points that we get you know, from people if we're working with them and they, they aren't already bought into the concept that they even need speaking coaching or that they even need to brush up on, on some speaking skills is we get, well, this, this is, that's fake. I don't want to be fake. I don't want to not be myself. And so basically any attempt to control your instrument, any attempt to think about how you're communicating and make an adjustment is seen as fake and is seen as yes. deceptive. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I've, I've, I've seen that very often. And Kristen Linkletter, who was, who's an astonishing voice teacher, she called it paralysis of integrity, mm. which is that somebody so wants to be honest and authentic that they can't move yeah. and, they, and yeah. they can't make a sound. And there's a lot of fear around, oh, I remember one guy saying, no, I don't want to sound like my dad. He was a used car salesman. And uh, I didn't believe a word he said. Yeah. And, and so people have ideas about uh, a loud, confident 
voice is, is therefore a phony voice. Right. Uh, and they have all kinds of, of ideas about those things, and you have to help them examine those ideas. And uh, some people believe that, that a very, very uh, quiet voice is their authentic voice, and yet if you talk to them for a while, you find out that the reason they have a quiet voice is because their mother would not let them speak loudly at home. Mm. And so they've spent their whole uh, developmental years speaking very, very quietly. And that is who they believe they are. And I come along and go, that's not, <laughs> that's not uh, the definition of who you are. You have an instrument here. You've just never been allowed to play it uh, loudly and freely. And then I have to get them to experience that, that volume and that freedom. And it can be very shocking for them. They're actually hearing a deafening sound in their ears. And it's terrifying. And uh, I've got to acquaint them with the idea that that could actually feel empowering. And, and it's life, because vibrations are life. Mm -hmm. right? And it reminds me of uh, this polyglot that I used to, to follow called Eidos and Ness. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He has something called the flow technique, I believe it's called. Um, Idaho Sines, um flow technique, flow method, something like that. It's 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 a way of learning new languages, but yeah, by yeah. using sound rather than uh, vocabulary and grammar. The oh, sound of the language. Yeah, flow mimic method. I can't remember the exact thing, but it's so fascinating. And and I used to su subscribe to his email list. And at one point, he said the four top things of how to learn a new language. And number one was, I keep my identity flexible. Ah. So basically, and I, and I noticed this when I was living abroad, both in Spain and in China, people who were afraid to kind of be different than they were yes. in their own language yes. never learned. Yes. This American guy, he was never able to not be Mr. Cool. He was a great guy, but, but he just couldn't... He couldn't be more expressive than he normally was in his laid-back kind of self. Yes. So he couldn't learn Spanish because it needed more... Vitality. Vitality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he couldn't just drawl and lay back into it because Spanish isn't spoken like that. Right. Uh, and then friends of mine in China who didn't want to get into the tones because they were worried they would sound weird and silly if they really got into the tones. They never learned uh -huh. because they were so uh, sort of anchored in their identity that to take on a new facet of themselves that felt too unfamiliar seemed fake or seemed too scary and that's yeah paralysis yeah very interesting um yes yeah, sorry no just so what we do with out loud is try and try and get people relaxed or giddy or 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 enjoying themselves so much that pretty well pretty soon they they're, they're doing outrageously wonderful funny things and re-describing who they are and then that's that's very, very exciting to watch and to listen to. Yeah, so that gets us to um, to the next question, which is, can you say what is the out loud method in brief and how can it help people? Wow. So first mm -hmm. of all, can you say very quickly, how did you become a coach from an actress to a speaking coach? How did that happen? And then how did you... Uh, how did you get to, to where we are today with the out loud method? Well, as I said, I became fascinated with the human voice and how, uh, how it could change. And then I started, uh, let's see, I became a public speaking coach because some, somebody who ran a public speaking company knew that actors were the perfect people to, to coach uh, corporate executives, whoever it was, uh, in speech and delivery and physical expressiveness. And so I worked for that company for a very long time and uh, I got very, very quick results for people because often 
the one thing that's holding somebody back from being an effective speaker might be something very, very simple, like they're not pronouncing their words clearly enough. Mm -hmm. And once you get them to pronounce their words clearly enough, all of a sudden everything they've got inside them, all their thoughts and ideas, come right popping out through their mouth, and that's a very exciting thing to happen. And so I realized these are all acting techniques, and you and I learned them at theater school and anybody can learn how to do them. In fact, when I had a student who was already quite proficient at public speaking, I would always say, where did you learn? How did you become so good at this? And they'd say, oh, I took some drama classes in high school, or I, or I, I, I majored in drama in university. And I'd go, yes, yes, you know these, you know simple things like how to ground yourself, how to be physically expressive, how to be facially expressive, how to let your voice be free. They're very, very, they're very simple and uh, and how to mean what you say in in, in a way and indicate and show people that yes Don't because a lot of people they they, yeah. they mean what yeah. they they mean what they think but they find it that that bridge between meaning what they think and meaning what they say is 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 a huge gap for them mm -hmm. and i once had a client who said i speak um, without the enthusiasm that I feel inside. So what we were trying to do was to match up his delivery to what he felt inside. Right. And I think that's true with a lot of people. When you and I work with the with the university students, these incredible post-grad engineers who are, who are very, very skilled, very, very knowledgeable. They've been studying for years and years and years. And they're very excited about their work, but they, boy, it's so difficult for them to communicate that excitement. Uh, and, and we're able to help them do that. And so uh, one of the most common questions that we get is, you know, do you have to be a natural, like is, is there a certain type of person who will be good at this and then other people are just screwed? Like is there, because <laughs> that's what we get a lot is people say, well that's all very well for somebody who's confident or somebody who has good social skills yes. or somebody who has good We have had difficult, we have had some difficult Yeah, uh, so, so can introverts learn what we're teaching and can introverts become great public speakers? Oh yes, definitely, because I think I'm an introvert and uh, I, I'm not somebody who naturally gravitates towards an audience or certainly not towards a camera, even though I've done very good work on camera and I've done very good work in the theater. It's not natural for me, but I still love the process of acting and so I had to learn to become an extrovert and God forbid that the world should be run by extroverts, you know, the world needs a good dose of introverts and extroverts so introverts need to learn extrovert skills and extroverts need to learn introvert skills right so what would you say are the three like if you can if you can choose three what were the three uh, maybe most valuable introvert skills that you learned or things that you learned how to do that didn't come naturally to you that oh, helped you mean you the extrovert skills yeah like yeah. how to be a better like you know how you, okay. to feel more comfortable I would on say stage and... I would say uh, Let's start from the ground up. I would say groundedness. So when I'm in the spotlight, I, uh, I don't feel grounded. I don't feel confident and secure in the spotlight. And so I have to learn and have had to learn and have to remind myself of really uh, connecting through to the earth in my legs. So there's a simple thing where I go, I am still here, I don't have to run away and shy from the spotlight. And is that a, an abstract thing or a physical thing? Is there it's something a physical you... thing. Yeah? It's a physical thing, sure. I could spend an hour meditating and, and eventually feel that kind of groundedness and connection to the earth. But I know a quick hack that can get me there in 15 seconds. Right, so it's just something you do with your leg muscles and yes. your feet and your... Yeah. Absolutely, right. and it's a quick hack. Um, uh, yeah, sorry. So you wanted three. 
Uh, okay, that's three one ways so you ground yourself. Ground myself. Three ways. So, uh, warming up my voice. So, I'm somebody who uh, tends uh, not to uh, uh, want to be very, very chatty, though my husband would probably disagree with this. <laughs> and he often tells me in restaurants to, to lower my voice. That's his, you can't see my gesture, but it's a lower your voice kind of gesture. And lots of people have have partners or friends that they want to go shh just quiet down now you don't I think everybody speak. yeah yeah uh, yeah <laughs> I guess yeah, every do. single person shh, shh. Yeah, yeah too loud too loud <laughs> because when you do get excited about something uh, you want to share it and you probably want to share it with a whole restaurant mm. so uh, I have learned as obviously very well as an introvert how to uh, speak with volume and feel vibrations in my body and now that feels kind of good uh, and and, and, and having yes. to be um, not being scared of that, right? Because I think that's what a lot of introverts that, that we coach uh, display is that when we are able to get them to find their strong vibration and to find their voice, so mm. that they go from like speak, yeah. hi, my name, is, and then they go hello, and all of a sudden you go wow, and but then they, they back off from it and yes. they get embarrassed yes. and they, they don't yes. want to do it. Yes, I always tell them now this is going to feel deafening to you, uh, and and you're going to have to get used to it. And you can see they're almost traumatized yeah. by hearing yeah. by hearing their own voices, and uh, so I encourage them to just get used to it, you know, to go to a deserted mountainside and yell and uh, get used to that sound. You do this wonderful thing where you play music that they have to top uh, and... Uh, yeah, playing a song on a speaker and yeah. having them speak over the yeah, yeah. epic song or like a classical yeah. music or rock music or yeah. rap and something loud and... Because yeah, a shy introvert it. might... might yeah. uh, in a, when they're at a party and they really would like a beer, will have to learn mm -hmm. how to speak over that, that right. very quiet voice they've got. Sorry, I interrupted you. What's what's the third uh, the thing? The third thing that, that helps me go from an introvert to an extrovert uh, would be uh, warming up, let's say. Uh, if I have to go do a job or an audition, uh, I have to do certain things to remind my voice and body that you're on, you know, the spotlight's about to shine on you and you better be ready, which means I've got to have um, I've got to raise my heart rate. I've got to get all the muscles of my body engaged. I've got, including my face muscles. I've got to get my voice engaged. And so I, when I walk into an audition or I walk on stage, I'm ready. Uh, so there's three things. Um, so yeah, so it's groundedness, groundedness, uh, finding volume, and finding warm up. volume, and, and warming up. Yeah, yeah, and warming up can include finding the groundedness and finding the volume. So these are actors' so, techniques. Yeah, and it's and it's really about uh, preparing. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's yes. about being prepared for yes. whatever it is that you do. Um, one thing that I notice uh, with a lot of people is that in, in a way that therapy used to be stigmatized, this kind of thing could be stigmatized, which is like, if I was cool enough or if I was already a perfect person, I wouldn't need this sort of help. Uh, people with people who people who work on themselves fall into one or two camps. They're either the sort of relentless self-improvement people who are always looking for the new thing, mm -hmm. or they're people who go, "Oh, that's nonsense." You know, humans existed for thousands of years without this new agey stuff. Oh, it's so and, easy and then, to be cynical. Yeah, isn't it? and to be cynical just... and to not uh, to not want this. But really, um, as I've found with therapy, and I'm sure a lot of other people have, when you stop resisting it and just go into it and say, "Okay, you know." What's the worst that can happen? Maybe I can learn a couple things, and maybe I can process some things, and and maybe I can you know find a release valve, and also uh, start to start to just look at myself a little more honestly. And once you do that and stop 
uh, sort of beating yourself up for not already being perfect, you find a lot of really, really important stuff, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. I had a con- I had a conversation this morning with uh, with a contractor who came to my house who I know fairly well. And we started talking about therapy. So this is a guy who installed my door. And uh, he went to therapy a couple of years ago because he was always angry. <laughs> he was always angry about, about on job sites, building sites, and things were always screwing up. And, uh, and then he went to therapy and he realizes it was a choice to, to react that way mm. all the time. And, uh, and now he's, he's actually changed hugely. And he doesn't let things bother him. Yeah. You know, there can be a basement full of water, and he goes, "Oh yeah, it's a basement there full of water. Yeah. There you go. I'm not a victim of it." Right. So, uh, so yeah, absolutely. And what we do, like we always make it clear, we're not therapists. We're we're not in class in order to sort of uh, tell you that we have the answers for your psychological uh, issues, but it, it it overlaps. Yes, in I, this interesting way. Right? I always say, uh, you know, it's for instance really interesting. It could be interesting to find out that the reason why you speak very quietly is because your mother never let you speak louder. Right. And uh, it's interesting. But in terms of how to get over it, uh, yes, you can go through years of psychotherapy, and I think that's awesome. But you also have to look at the effect, which is that you speak quietly all the time. So you have to work purely on the, the outside in and getting your voice loud enough uh, that you can get past that that reticence that yeah. your mother induced in you. Right. And then it, and then it, you know, once these things start to happen, they can kind of have a, an exponential effect and sort of once you uh, break a little piece loose, then other things can yes. kind of come out in, in a very positive way. Yes, and I, I believe strongly that the, uh, because I've done it, I've, I've done psychotherapy and they're, they're, I've, I've found out all kinds of things, but ultimately if my body is still holding on to uh, insecurities and um, and sort of curling in on itself and vo- being vo- vocally very quiet. Unless I change those habits, all the psychotherapy in the world is not going to uh, help me get over uh, whatever the traumas were. Wow. Does that make sense? Totally. I mean, yeah, we've had some pretty intense conversations in the in the classroom. Uh, not not often, but it happens. Uh, where people kind of come in and share something pretty, pretty personal and pretty intense, uh, and, and and you see it and hear it in the voice and the body. And then when something is released, really, once they kind of, once they realize that it's like it's okay to be this way, mm-hmm. you know what what has happened to you and how it's affected your speaking and how it's affected your your physical um, embodiment of. of, mm-hmm. of what you're portraying mm-hmm. it's the most natural thing in the world and that's mm-hmm. you know it's a very comforting aspect of therapy is you start to learn that this stuff is pretty clinical human beings mm-hmm. are almost like boringly predictable mm-hmm. you know this this tends to happen like this because of you know x happens because of y and it's and it's pretty and it can be common and it can be mm-hmm. and there, there's community in there mm-hmm. there's comfort in there yeah look at all um, the people going to personal trainers uh to work on their on their physique uh, and so, in a way, what out loud is a sort of personal trainer for your for your voice and your body. And your yeah, and your the the way that you yeah. So the the conversations that we're talking about, having better conversations with an audience, with others, and with yourself, is about the the, the concept of having a better conversation with yourself is changing the narrative. You know, it's realizing all... that it's that you you're you're overblowing how important this talk is. Number one. You're, if you're nervous at all, it's because you're thinking, oh, this is so important, and 
almost 100% you're overblowing how desperately important is that that is. Yes. You're also overblowing how much people will care if you stumble over a word or two. Yes. You know, you're like, hey, welcome for th- coming today. Oh, shit. And then you, you know, <laughs> like, and then you're you're burning with shame and nobody, people barely notice probably. Because the shame goes back to when you were six years old and you peed your pants in grade yeah. one when you, when you did something right. like that. And know? also there's that deep evolutionary psych- psychological thing, which is... Back in the day, in our hunter-gatherer groups, if we stood up in front of the tribe and made an ass of ourselves, we might be ostracized and or, maybe even kicked out of the cave. Or be an actor. Yeah. <laughs> well, they, you know, and for a long time, actors were were shunned from society. Maybe you know, but but, but the idea is that there there there's a feeling of, of actual life and death yes. uh, stakes yes. to, to public speaking. Yes. That, but that, that that don't actually have any meaning anymore. Yes. So, so I say. So, uh, when we're talking about thinking out loud, what are the things you're saying to yourself? That it's it's all about words, right? Uh, how, how, what are you saying to yourself? If you're saying to yourself, if if I get up and screw this up, uh, my life is over. Yeah. Rather than, wow, I really hope this goes well. Uh, I hope it goes as well as it will go. Yeah. Uh, and, this, this, and, will, this will be fine. And yeah, and that's what I tell myself, it, honestly. It, this will be fine. Because <laughs> I get really nervous too. I have intense yeah. stage fright. Yeah. So what? I, very intense. Really? Yeah. Oh, good God, yeah. Like. And what happens? Okay, heartbeat. Heart. So increased heart rate. Yeah. For me, I get horribly sweaty palms. Like I'm really? just rubbing them on my jeans, and I'm just like, oh God, and they won't stop. Uh, you know, my voice gets tight. Uh, I have a hard time breathing. My my breathing gets constricted. If it's a, if it's an especially big audience, it gets worse. And but in general, how I've learned to deal with it is. Changing the narrative and, and going. And so you could say this is this is so going to be fine. I said this will be fine. This will be fine. Oh, this sweaty be fine. palms is fine. Yeah, sweaty palms is fine. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'll, I'll I'll never see most of these people again. You know, I once went uh, went to the doctor and uh, got a prescription for beta blockers many many yeah. years ago because every time I went to an audition, my heart was beating so loudly and furiously that I I couldn't focus, I couldn't concentrate. And I'd read an article about professional musicians who sometimes have to audition for the only uh, violin spot in their city orchestra that only comes up every 15 years. And so the stakes are very, very high. So that they would take beta blockers that they would calm down. And it worked. I'm not suggesting everybody should get beta blockers. I've been told that by a lot of older actors, yeah. But but what's so interesting is if you take that example of the violinist auditioning for the one spot that's only every 15 years or you know something like an Olympic athlete who has yes, you know, 10 yes. seconds to do the sprint yes. at once every four years yes it's so funny because the people who are able to perform at that level are the people who are able to convince themselves that this is just another race or this is just another time playing that song Oh, well, they must do, because otherwise yeah. they'd have a heart that's, attack. That's how they, they do it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's all about thinking about, what am I actually doing here? So instead of going, what does this mean? Who's in the audience? How important is this? You go, what am I actually doing? I'm talking about a subject that I know well. I've prepared for it. I know the subject matter. And then you just think about it. I'm just having a conversation. Yes. Whether it's with 500 people or 10 people yes. or one person or my, yes. you know, I'm just having a conversation. Yes, but I think it's very important to prepare. If you're going to be talking to 500 people, go into the space beforehand, walk the stage. Oh, you need to prepare. You but when it's prepare. time to perform, mm-hmm. you have to go, I'm just just talking. Yeah. And it's, it's, I maybe need to be a little louder and a little bigger in my gestures, but other than that, it's just a conversation. Yeah, and you, and, and you need the, to visualize. The more you can relax about it and just think about the actual what are you doing and not what does it mean, 
quote unquote, you know, like the importance yeah. of it, yeah. the, the, the better able you are, like the less fucks you give, <laughs> the, the more chance. Are you allowed to say fucks on a podcast? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Big time. All right. Yeah. Like the fewer fucks you give, I should say fewer fucks. The fewer fucks you give, the more likely, like it, during performance time, not in the, not beforehand. You, you, sh you shouldn't like, you know, uh, shirk your practicing duties or, or your, no, your preparation. You yeah. But when it's time to perform, the fewer fucks you give, the higher chance of success. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's absolutely. It's infuriating, but that's how it is. Um, okay. So okay. last thing before yes, we go. Yes. What more? What can could somebody listening start doing today? to be a better speaker, whether they're an introvert or an extrovert, what are things they can do right away to start being better? Become curious about about the voice uh, and become curious about the expressiveness of the physical body. So go to TED Talks, watch, watch the best TED Talkers and notice what are they doing mm. because they have been coached by people like you and me yeah. uh, to be as good as they are. Uh, they didn't start that way. And uh, so notice what they're doing with their voice. Uh, why do you not get bored with how they're speaking? Are they breathing? How are they walking? How are they talking to their audience? When are they looking at their audience? Uh, how can you tell that their thoughts are fresh? Start that way, I think. Great. Yeah. Okay, well, Nikki, thank you so much. You're so welcome. We went 10 minutes over. Hey, Who cool. cares? <laughs> uh, and uh, to you listening, thank you so much. This is our inaugural uh, podcast. This is our first ever episode. Um, if you like what we're doing and like what you're talking about, please tell your friends about it. We're going to be talking to many different people who are both actors and non-actors, but people who are exceptional in their field and people who have uh, a lot of insight to give on how to communicate your passion, how to talk to yourself, how to talk to an audience, and how to talk to colleagues and bosses and employees and loved ones. And partners, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's all in there. Okay. Okay, thank you for listening. Bye.